Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. And you are going to be sharing with us some reflections on these articles by Omar Farah Abdullah. The floor is yours. Um, okay, is it okay if I not go in that order? The only, just because I had actually difficulties understanding the one God, many names. Um, and I, I mean, I made some notes, but when I, reading the whole thing, I was still kind of like, huh? Oh, totally. Yeah. You know, uh, whatever, whatever way works for you. Um, okay. So the article that I really, really enjoyed um, was Islam and the cultural imperative. Um, that's because they mentioned a lot that I can relate to as a convert um, because they spoke about Islam in different cultures and what that looks like for everyone else. Um, so what I understood from this article is that, um, I mean, they briefly go into Islam and um, how it's how it branched out originally from Arab culture. Um, and then it, it became one of the, I think it's like the second most popular first, if not second most popular religion or growing religion currently in the unit or in the world. Um, and it's true, it's spread across many continents. Um, and Islam does is not just predominantly Arab anymore. Well, it hasn't been for a very long time. It's branched out. Um, and uh, what they said is that now, um, since it's branched out, there are now different types of, uh, I want to say, be careful with different types of Muslims. But yes, there are different types of Muslims. Everyone uh, that follows Islam is a Muslim, but um, what they look like, what their uh, background is, their cultural identity is uh, different. But however, they're um, following of Islam is still valid. Um, so now like we have, uh, like the intersection of different cultures, you know, Muslims married other types of Muslims, um, from different backgrounds and then they have children. And then, you know, th these generations of Islam just keep branching out, um, growing. Um, and so it goes into culture. So it really wanted to, um, distinguish what culture was it's basically just uh you know everything that that molds your actions and your natural inclinations um it stems from food how you dress um your beliefs um your values all that good stuff um and, and it looks different for everybody um and then it went into the unless i yeah, so what I think I understood is that, so it, it starts talking about how it was uh, Islam predominantly was uh, like Arab dominated. So with Arab customs and cultures um, infused into it. And once it started branching out, there was this um, issue that, you know, um, Arabs had to recognize non-Arabs and their version of Islam um, as a as a valid, valid form of Islam um, because, uh, not every other culture dressed or or spoke, um, you know, uh, Arabic. They didn't maybe hold the same uh, customs as Arabs or um, traditional dress standards and whatnot. And what I really liked is that it goes into this part where um, I think it was talking about um, a prophet and Umar that they were they had uh, an interaction with um, these African Muslims, um, and then the African Muslims were were 
Um, I believe they were dancing and beating drums. Um, and they were they were Muslim. Um, they came from like Black African roots, to be specific. Um, and uh, they were converts. So um, Umar did not wasn't very happy with what they were doing. Um, he was saying, "No, this is not. You guys are not my people. I mean, you you might might you might call yourself Muslims, but you're not." you know, what he viewed as a Muslim, um, as an um, Arab. Uh, and then uh, one of the prophets uh, decided to stop that um, in its tracks, and he joined the uh, Africans um, and what they were doing. And um, he was basically trying to um, show Umar that they are, that they were all the same people. They were, everyone in that situation was a Muslim. Um, no one was more above than the other. <laughs> and their um, viewpoint on Islam and their culture was okay because um, they were not sent to earth by um, Allah to judge other people. Um, so he wanted to basically stop that and make it clear that there is no, that you just can't judge other cultures um, just because they're different than you and call them less of a, like less of a Muslim than you are. Um, and let's see. Yeah, that's basically what I, I took from that article. Um, it's just saying that Islam has branched out and that it looks different for everybody. So it doesn't make anyone more above than another person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was, that was really good. And so, <clears throat> so when it comes to the acts of worship, which is primarily the five pillars, then uh, Islam is pretty much the same everywhere you go. The idea being that if you go to Juma prayers in Sub-Saharan Africa, in Pakistan, in Saudi Arabia, in Chicago, the core of the prayer from the, you know, Allahu Akbar till Assalamu Alaikum, that's the same everywhere you go which means you can join prayer anywhere. Obviously, there's going to be some gender issues because there's some mosques, most mosques, and especially in the more rural parts of the world, might be men only. Uh, but in terms of the actual steps of the prayer inside the house, inside the mosque, that's pretty much the same. However, when we're speaking of things outside of the acts of worship, how do people interact in the street? How do people conduct themselves inside the house? How do people dress? What do people eat? You know, What vocabulary do they use? then the, the default approach is, number one, you have to look at what is the local practice and keeping everything as indigenous as you possibly can. And so one of the theories for why Islam grew as quickly as it did in its first century was because they didn't mess with people's culture. They didn't even force people to convert to Islam. And more often than not, the early expansions of Islam, they were fighting officially against the rulers. But when they expanded, defeating the rulers, the Christians remained Christians, right? The Zoroastrians were remaining Zoroastrians. And it reached the point that uh, Omar, the same Omar you're referring to, um, he didn't allow the Muslim soldiers to settle in town with the locals uh, they set up what we call garrison town so they there would be like a town nearby where they, where the soldiers would all stay and they might come in for trade and such and so so the point being that um, so the theory for why 
it grew so fast is that it didn't mess around people's lives. Rather, you're looking at people's local culture as sacred. You know, so uh, I have a student who, who's a convert and in this one might be, uh, this issue might be tough for a lot of people to understand. Um, you know, his uh, mother wants uh, him, mother doesn't know he's Muslim. Um, his mother wants, to take him, wants him to take his younger brother to get confirmed. And he's asking me, is it okay? I said, go, right? I mean, you still, what is sacred to your loved ones, you still have to treat with respect and such. You know, it'd be something different if you feel like your Islam is going to be threatened, like you're going to get, you know, you're going to convert back, then that's a different issue. But if your family takes something as sacred, even if you don't believe in it, even if you think it's ridiculous, out of love for them, you still have to treat with respect. Yeah. Now, hauling, if there are absurdities in what they're doing, then as a loving family member, you call them out. This is, but not during the, 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 sacred time. So this is the example of Ibrahim, peace be upon him, with his father, the prophet Ibrahim, uh, where he's asking, you know, okay, why are you, why are you guys worshiping these statues that can't do anything for you? you know? And and it's offending people so much that they're getting ready to, to kill him, you know. But there are times where, you know, I mean, you're hopefully not going to get killed, but uh, there are times where, you know, if you see absurdities in what your family's doing, then you do raise the question. Yeah. But your default is still, if someone takes something as sacred, you, re, you, you treat it with respect. You don't treat it with disrespect. Because if you take someone's sacred things and treat it with disrespect, it's like you're, you're attacking the thing that's at their core. And then they're never going to uh, want to hear your truth. Yeah. So that's just a basic principle. But then on top of that, when you are a Muslim in your particular culture, uh, the mistake a lot of people make in dealing with converts, in nurturing converts, is try to convert the convert, not just in religion, but in culture. You know, like you give up your whole identity. That's wrong. That's a type of violence. And it usually doesn't last. Can you give an example of like... Yeah, so, so you'll find a lot of converts, you know, that their friends will tell them, okay, you got to change your name now. Uh, mm -hmm. You got to change all your friends. You gotta change your clothes. And you can't do this, you can't do that. Right. Yeah. And like what's the instruction I always give to new converts? Right now, don't change anything. Right now you're just focusing on getting a better, better understanding of your relationship with God. And there'll be some things you want to change. Like for example, if someone's in doing a practice that's not healthy for them, then you want to work on that. But just like you know, any any type of addiction. You know, if you tell someone to stop cold turkey, they're not going to last that long. So I've had numerous examples over the years. I'm thinking of one example of, of a woman who, I mean, she was brought to me as a student way too late in the process, but basically her coworkers were Muslim and they were converting, convincing her to become Muslim. She becomes Muslim. And they're also telling her, okay, you got to drop your boyfriend. You got to drop your family because they're all non-Muslims. You got to change the way you dress. You can't, you can't eat a burger anymore. You can't do this, can't do that, right? And she was saying on the one hand, and she told me her whole life, her whole life was like just getting abused by this uncle, that uncle, just left and right in all the worst ways of abuse, right? And she was saying for the first time in her life, you know, like because of Islam, she's finding peace in her heart. But now because she's so bitterly lonely that she wanted to kill herself every night, right? Because 
on the one hand, she's getting peace from from the dean, but on the, but on the other hand, these coworkers are telling her to cut everything away from their her life. For them, it's easy because they're going home back to a Muslim family. For her, it just means that okay, she goes to work and she goes to home. She's by herself, and then she goes to work the next day, right? And so what they're doing is literally a type of violence. It's not even irresponsible. It's violence. And, you know, she didn't last that much longer in terms of Islam. She gave up. And so, so the point is that your Islam should enhance you to become a better version of you. Just like you're taking water to a garden. You're not trying to turn a, a, a tomato plant into a banana tree. You're trying to take the tomato plant and make it the best possible tomato. And so when you're trying to grow in your Islam or a teacher is trying to help you grow in your Islam, even if you're not a convert, even if you're a lifetime, uh, lifelong Muslim, their job is to help you fulfill what you're capable of being. But very often the mistake uh, these violent teachers make is they try to instead make you fit a different mold. And some people think, well, okay, that's Islam. That's what I'm supposed to do. And usually it means you go into a completely different ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And I've even seen converts start developing an accent when they speak. Like, you know, they're raised here, complete Chicago accent, you know, or whatever part of Chicago. And then now they're getting like this ethnic accent when they're talking. And I've literally like, I remember once where I literally started yelling at him, where did you get this accent from? You're African-American. And from the south side of Chicago, and now you you have this bizarro accent I've never heard before, and so all of that is is fake. It's just performance. And the goal you want to do at the individual level is grow in your relationship with with Allah and something that is completely native to you, organic to you, indigenous to you. Now, when you apply that at the cultural level, that's how Islam is supposed to be: something completely indigenous in design, not foreign. So like this mosque, where do you think this mosque is? Oh, did you know this was a mosque behind me? Yes. Yeah, this is in New Mexico. I know and, where. Yeah, and so, so the designer is actually Egyptian. Mm-hmm. And he designed it to look like something indigenous to New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Or even to that specific region in New Mexico. Not only in the design, but also in the ingredients. I don't know what we call them ingredients or, or the tools and all that stuff. And inside there's prayer hall and look, there's still a dome, you know? And so there's still a couple of features. Like if you look at the, uh, the entrance, mm-hmm. it looks still sort of has a little bit of what we would think of when we think of, of, of a mosque and such. And, and so this is why Islam grew so much. It's because it just took you as what you were and tried to make the best version of you according to your design and took each culture according to the best version of what it is according to its own design. If there are haram elements, then there'd be steps to remove the haram. Uh, but by and large, most culture is good and healthy and beautiful, you know, no matter where it is. Again, whether it's Chicago, whether it's Cairo, whether it's Rio de Janeiro, everywhere. And then, And it's not limited to Muslims, but then you'll find other people that are basically a religious version of imperialist or colonialist, where they're trying to force everything to fulfill a particular mold. And in the United States, that would be sort of like the, the current right wing, where they're trying to force everybody to fit a particular mold, but that's also the current uh, left wing too, where they're trying to force everybody to fit a particular mold. 
And, and so, yeah, that's the essence of what this article is saying, that it literally should conform like water and the water, it gives it life. And that's what the Dean is supposed to be to a particular region. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, a small point when you're giving the story of Omar and the prophet, that was literally the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, who is, who is saying, you know, uh, on Eid day, let these, uh, let the, uh, this particular African tribe celebrate the way they celebrate. And, mm -hmm. and we're going to, you know, observe and, and appreciate. And, so, and uh, the thing about Omar is that he would, he would learn immediately and, uh, and such. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections about uh, about this article? Um, I think at one point I had a good understanding between like the difference of culture and religion, but those lines got really fuzzy and they're really easy to blur and mix together. And um, yeah, as a convert, I've, I think I've already told you about, I think initially when I first met with you, all the Muslim friends that I had that were like, you can't do this anymore. You can't do that anymore. And to this day, it's, it hasn't really changed, but I just kind of stopped. Like, even if I wanted to, I, I don't think I could right now. I'm not saying I have any haram aspects to me, but just like, like trying to turn me into like them, you know, yeah. different. Um, and uh, I think sometimes in my head, it still gets super, super fuzzy. Like, I, I just want to point out how extremely difficult it is to just like separate those two. I think you made it sound really easy, but then when I start reflecting on it again, it's like, but is it really that easy? <laughs> so That's a way to think about this, uh, uh, your point is very fair. Number one is that the common, the common Muslim raised as Muslim or even the common convert does not know how to nurture a convert. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, for them, sometimes it's a bit of a novelty and, and we won't share them here, but conversations you and I discussed earlier this week that you were having with some of your friends. And I was like, these guys sound like they're 12 years old, right? You know, because... Uh, you raise questions that they never thought about. And so they're giving you their conjecture, uh, which can be destructive. Uh, uh, and, and so one is that nurturing converts as well as designing Islam for a particular society is the work of experts, you know, trained experts, not the work of, of people with, you know, just a whole lot of wishful thinking. And then another way to think about it is what's the fundamental thing that a convert is doing or adding or changing? They're trying to add the acts of worship. So imagine you change nothing else about your life, but now you're adding the acts of worship. That's the core of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's so it. think of it that way as a formula. Again, the hard part for the convert, which the not the lifer doesn't realize is that the lifer is usually going home to a family of Muslims. Mm -hmm. You know, so in Ramadan, the lifer, even if nobody in the family eats together, uh, you know, there's iftar in the house, there is uh, uh, suhoor in the house, there might even be some religiousness in the house, even if the whole family is dysfunctional. Like the convert, Everything is the same as it was the day before Ramadan because nobody else is, is Muslim in the house. Mm -hmm. and, and so thus, uh, what is often a very communal feeling for a lot of lifers is a very lonely feeling for a lot of converts. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, uh, what's the word, a lot of lifers who give advice to converts usually don't uh, understand that. Especially with Ramadan coming up. But the core 
of what a convert is focusing on to change is to figure out how to add the acts of worship. And even there, it's basically daily prayers and fasting. Uh, daily prayers because it's daily. That's the primary thing. Fasting is once a year, but it's an intense time of the year. Zakat is once a year. That's if you if you have savings. Hajj is once in a lifetime, you know. Uh, but the key is your. Uh, so if we were to even make it even smaller, the key is that the convert's goal is to add the daily prayers. Which means the only thing that might change is a little bit of how they adjust their schedule. Everything else is the same. So now they saying, might. Go ahead. You're saying there's really no need to change anything else besides act the. I mean, I mean, just speaking from a point of like, a, yeah. a, I mean, you're not, you know, like doing drugs or anything like that. Like, if you're just actually starting new, um, is it just important to just implement, like you said, the element of prayer and worship, um, reading Quran and all that stuff? Um, yeah, I didn't even just, add reading Quran. All I added was the daily prayer. So. Okay. And then everything else is okay is, to remain the same. Everything else is good, right? But like if you had to pick one thing, then I'd say it's the daily prayers. Mm -hmm. so, meaning I'm saying one change in your life. So everything that a person does in their life, if they pick one change, it's the daily prayer. Good. And then naturally, a person is going to want to do more. And then that is done, you know, step by step to figure out what is best, what is most effective. And the next thing to look at would be what are practices that are not healthy? Yeah. And to figure out what can be done to, to move away from those unhealthy practices. Because even the things that are considered haram in the Islamic paradigm, in Sharia, we can probably assume are probably unhealthy practices. That's why they're haram. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, so that would be sort of step two. Sometimes a person has to focus on step two before doing, doing step one. That's normal too. Mm. Everything else is also good. And it's not, okay, a person is not doing wrong if they do everything. You know? but we're talking about, you know, the marathon versus the, the, the 100 meter dash. The 100 meter dash is like super all, you're putting your all in for five seconds, 10 seconds, you know, or in my case, and then you're done. Whereas the, the marathon, it's, you know, steady, 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 steady for a long period of time. That's what we're seeing. Okay. That makes it simpler for me now, since I don't feel like I have to do it. I mean, I have been, personally, I have been working on on prayers um, and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, outside of this recording, we can also work on that, uh, that aspect too, but yeah. Sure. Um, and then... Now I just feel better knowing that I don't have to like work on 30 different things at the same time. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's why you get uh, uh, the, the hard part for converts. The most important thing for converts is to get a teacher. The hardest mm -hmm. part for converts is that they're so used to making their decisions themselves. It's often hard to listen to a teacher. It's often the teacher is saying, slow down. And the convert's like, no, I got to do this. I got to do this. And then eventually they get overwhelmed. And then they might be ready for, for, for the teacher. Cool. Anything else about this article? Nope, that's it. Okay, then tell you what. Let's uh, save the other articles for, for, for next time. And then, then we can have just other regular discussions. Okay. Uh, let me see if there's anything else I want to focus on this article. Uh, I mean, the last part is the when he's really focusing on this article, 
he's really talking about the responsibility of every generation of Muslims. It's, and you'll hear this from me over and over again. It's the responsibility of every generation of Muslims to figure out how to practice your Islam in such a way that it is relevant for your time and place. And it's truly, in terms of its integrity, truly Islam. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, you'll have a big group of people that's just practicing Islam the way they did before even though it might be completely irrelevant now in terms of vocabulary or things they focus on. Then you have another group of people that see themselves as reformists and they're just trying to throw away everything you know, from, from, from history. But the goal is to make something that is completely relevant for your time and place and completely wholly Islamic. And that's essentially the overall point of the article is that that's the responsibility of every generation of Muslims. Otherwise, the result is schizophrenia, this cultural schizophrenia where you have your Muslim side and then your local side and, and all that stuff. And it doesn't work, it doesn't last because your kids are not gonna embrace it. Mm -hmm. Make sense? Yes. Okay, cool. Let me start right here.